Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Hebrews 11, 23 to 28. Our practice here is to go through books of the Bible. And uh, wherever I leave off this week is where I'll pick up next week. We look to see what is it that God has for us in this text. And that's our task today to see what the Lord has for us here. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask that you would speak to us. Show us our Savior, and show us that he is worth it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you all have ever heard of the name Ernest Shackleton? Anybody here know who he is? Jason, of course. Jason likes history. Jason, uh, Ernest Shackleton was an explorer in England in the early 1900s. He made at least three trips to Antarctica to explore that part of the world and the South Pole. Very cold, lots of ice. In 1914, he and a crew of 28 men boarded the ship Endurance to set sail for that place once more. But while it got close to the South Pole, it got stranded on flows of ice just off the coast, and that ship was slowly crushed by that ice and eventually sank to the bottom. And so those men, they began spending time on that floating ice out there, and I assure you it was solid enough, I guess, to hold them, but I don't know about you, I don't think I'd want to spend a lot of time on the ice. Well, that ice started to give way a bit, and they got on some lifeboats, and they made it to safer ice, bad ice to better ice. And knowing that nobody was going to come and rescue them, the crew made improvements to one of the best remaining boats, and they sent Shackleton and some of his men and off in search of help. When he finally returned, all the men and the expedition had been saved. And after almost 500 days after their journey began, all of these men were able to finally stand on solid ground one more time. This is the stuff of legend. It's been said that before the journey, Shackleton put an ad in the newspaper asking for who for volunteers and applications. This is supposedly what that ad said. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. <laughs> Honor and recognition in case of success. He received over 5,000 applications. We might ask ourselves, what was it that would draw so many men to a lengthy, cold, dangerous expedition like this? 
because they stood to lose everything, did they not? How many of you all love the cold? I know some of you do, because I talk to you. At least you say that you do, you know. But this is tremendous and bitter cold. They might go out there and die in it. But these men, they applied by the thousands, and they chose to go. Why? Because they believed that the reward would be worth it. Honor and recognition in case of success. And so they were willing to endure great dangers, great difficulties, all for what they would receive in the end. There is a similar truth in front of us today here in the book of Hebrews that the writer wants us to see in the life of a man named Moses. Moses was a man with a lot to lose, but the reward of God was worth it. He had faith in the promises of God. And what God had promised to him was worth far more in Moses' mind than what he had to give up. And as we look at the life of Moses, you need to understand what is being communicated to you because God is saying the same thing, in essence, to us. It may appear that there is a lot to lose when you follow Jesus Christ. And nobody should ever tell you that there is not a cost involved because there is. But what we're supposed to see through the life of this man Moses is that the reward that God has promised to us is also worth it. So what are we told about him here in these verses in front of us? First thing that we should see is that Moses' life was marked by choices. His life was marked by a lot of choices. First, the first choices that we're told about here were the choices that his parents made. And if you know the story from the book of Exodus, you'll remember that the Hebrew people were living in Egypt at the time. They were not in the promised land. And the Pharaoh that had once shown a lot of kindness to them under the leadership of a man named Joseph, that Pharaoh was long since dead. And now the king of Egypt who was there, he watched the people of God. They multiplied tremendously. And he realized that he had a problem on his hands. If these outsiders ever organized themselves, they could push against his power. And he didn't want that to happen. So he gave a command that all of the Hebrew boys that were going to be born were to be thrown into the Nile River. And so when Moses was born, his parents refused to obey that evil command. And as we're told right here, they hid their baby for three months. They chose faithfulness to God rather than give in to the fearfulness to the king. So Moses' mom, she made a basket. She sealed the outside of that thing with tar. And on a particular day, she put it out there into the Nile River while Pharaoh's daughter was out there bathing. Moses was found. And he was brought into the house of Pharaoh to grow up there in the palace. That's a pretty good start, isn't it? Not a bad start to Moses' life. Rags to riches. Slave becomes royalty. Everything that Moses could have ever wanted was right now at his fingertips as he grew up in that house. And if this was a Disney story, that right there would be the happily ever after. But in the plan of God, Moses' story is just beginning. It's just starting. God had bigger plans than to just give Moses comfort and ease. 
This is about the preservation and the care of an entire people. And the choices that begin to mark Moses' life would show what he values most. And I want you to see what those choices were. Look with me there in chapter 11, starting at verse 24. It says that when Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, rather, it says, to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's a strange choice, isn't it? Doesn't seem like he is choosing what is best for him there at that time. We're told that he chose to experience difficulty as one of God's people rather than to have the treasures and the pleasures of Pharaoh's people. It was an either-or proposition. Moses was a man of two households. His birth family was Hebrew. And what were all of these people in the land? They were slaves. But his adoptive family, they were Egyptian. And what were they? They were all royalty. And when Moses is grown up, there comes a time in his life when he has to choose. And what are those choices that are out there in front of him? Slave, royalty, riches, poverty, comfort, suffering. And if Moses had a financial planner or a life coach at that time, that person's job would have seemed very simple, would it not? Pretty clear choice, at least from the outside. What are you waiting on, Moses? There is no decision to be made here. It is very clear what you need to choose. Isn't it obvious to you? If you're concerned about what God wants for you, can't you see what he is giving to you? He's giving you the palace and everything in it. But Moses didn't choose the obvious path. The scales tipped for him on the side of choosing to be with the people of God. Why? Why would he make that choice? Don't you think if something like that were happening today, someone gets to choose to live in the palace or live with the slaves, and he chose to live with the slaves, they would think, what's the matter with you? You're crazy. But Moses did that because that's where God's hand was. That's where God wanted him. If things were simply weighed out from a worldly perspective, then the balance would have slammed in that direction. But imagine the finger of God coming down and pressing on the side of the scale that seemed very empty and tipped it the other way. That's exactly what was happening in the life of Moses. What was it that led him to think that way? What did he have in his mind? Fortunately for us, we're told what it was that Moses was thinking. It's right there in verse 26. Read it with me. It says that he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We're told here what Moses' value system looked like, what his internal accounting calculator read. The word reproach, what I just read, is not a very common word, is it? How often do you use the word reproach? It's not really in my normal vocabulary, and I doubt that it is in yours either. You don't often say, I think, that you have suffered reproach. I don't talk like that. 
Here's another translation that I think smooths that out just a bit and gives us an idea of what is being said. It says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. The disgrace of Christ or the disgrace for Christ was of greater value to this man than all the treasures that Egypt had to offer. It would have looked to everybody in the royal court as if Moses was throwing his life away. But Moses saw far more than short-term gains that would come from the hand of Pharaoh. He saw the eternal reward of God. We're told here that Moses was looking forward to the reward. God made promises to his people that were out there on the horizon, out there in the distance. They were not to stay in Egypt. There was a place for them that he had chosen that they would be free to be his people, no longer slaves. They didn't have to be slaves anymore, not under a wicked king anymore, under the perfect rule of God. That was out there for those people. And Moses believed those promises, and he was willing to be identified with the people of God rather than the people of Egypt. So God's reward to Moses was worth more than Pharaoh's. It's just that simple. And specifically here, we're told that disgrace for Christ was worth more to Moses than the fleeting pleasure of sin. He'd rather have disgrace. He'd rather have suffering if that means he is joined to God and to his people than to have everything that Pharaoh could throw at him. That's what his value system looked like. He specifically says reproach for Christ, though. And you might ask yourself, well, didn't Moses live a long time before Jesus? And yes, he did. And did Moses know Jesus? Not by name like we do. But those were Christ's people back then, just as the church is Christ's people today. And the willingness that Moses had to suffer alongside, to identify himself with those people of God, would parallel the willingness to suffer alongside the people of God in our day after the name of Jesus has been spoken. So even though he did not know Jesus Christ by name, to suffer for the people that Jesus would save before the cross or after the cross is to suffer for Jesus. That's what we're being told here. He's identifying with the Lord's people. And so faith... Faith sees the eternal reward of God out there, and it changes our value system right here. People begin to forego short-term pleasures that are right there in front of them in order to gain eternal delight. That's what Moses was choosing. But it does not mean that that comes easy. Short-term pleasure is a powerful temptation, is it not? hard to turn down. There's a prominent university that once did a study called the Marshmallow Test. How many of you all know what the Marshmallow Test is? Just a few of you. Maybe you've seen it on America's Funniest Home Videos. They actually do something very similar. Essentially, the test was that you can have one marshmallow right now, or you can have multiple marshmallows later, and they did this study on children to try to figure out if the kids would be willing to forego short-term pleasure for long-term pleasure. 
You can't have both. You have to choose. And so what AFV did is they put a pile of candy over here that the child could have if they just restrained themselves from eating the small amount of candy in front of them. It was pretty comical. Because the temptation to go ahead for the immediate pleasure was strong. This was real suffering for those kids. But in some ways, this is a small picture of what we are being promised as children of God. Because I think you would admit with me is that life is filled with fleeting and destructive pleasures. And the temptation to go ahead and grab those is very strong. And it's as if they have a magnetic force in our hearts that are just drawing us near to them almost irresistible. But the Lord has promised incredible things to his people in Christ, some of which he's going to give right now to you as a kind of down payment to bless his people on their journey. He's going to sustain you. He's going to give you lots of joys to delight yourself in and understand that they have come right from his hand. But he's also going to reserve a pile of reward out there in the future for his people. And he calls us to restrain ourselves right here in the here and now from grabbing those and giving in to those temptations. And he is promising to us far more than our minds can imagine. Moses saw all of this kind of thing there in front of him while he was in the palace, and he was willing to lay it all aside for what appeared to be a foolish choice. But he had eyes of faith to see the reality that other people could not. You might be wondering right about now, you know, I thought this was Easter. What does this scripture right here have to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus? Well, I would tell you it has everything to do with the death and resurrection of our Savior. The promises that God made to those ancient people in the days of Moses, what did he promise them? He promised these people that there was a land flowing with milk and honey, did he not? He said, there is a place for you where you will live in the presence of God. You will have access to him, living underneath his perfect rule, not under slavery anymore. And all of those promises that he made about that land were just shadows of what God has promised to his people in Jesus Christ. Slavery in Egypt was a shadow, a picture of humanity's slavery to sin. And the promised land of Canaan was a shadow or a picture of the promised land of heaven. And when Jesus came into the world, the work that he had in front of him was to go and gain both of those for a people for God. He lived a perfect life in our place. He died a sinner's death in our place. Why did he do that? So that we can have forgiveness from God and freedom from slavery. Felicia, a little while ago up here in the baptism, talked about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He died to give us a hope that is alive. Why is it alive? Because Jesus is alive. 
And he is in heaven right now, raised from the dead, ascended at the right hand of the Father, and he forever lives to make intercession for his people until he comes back for us and then grants to us everything that he won there at the cross and at the tomb when he was raised. Those promises are reserved for God's people, and they sit waiting with him firmly in heaven, and he will come back for us. And so we have a hope, brothers and sisters, that is alive in him. Our hope is not in ourselves, is it not? It's not. Our hope is not in what we own. It's not in what we possess. It is not in all our achievements down here on earth. All of our hope is with Jesus himself. And so all of those promises for God's people they have everything to do with the cross and what he paid there for us and what he achieved when he was raised. He's alive. Hallelujah. And that means our hope is alive too. Amen. So many people think that they are free. They think that they're free. And they say things like, I don't want the Lord in all of those oppressive rules that he has. That's what they think following Jesus is. And maybe they've gotten a bad example from some people. But that's all that it is. Just keeping rules for Jesus. That's all he wants for me. But these people, they don't realize that they are actually enslaved by their sin and that Christ has come to set them free. And every day they go out and they serve their master. And what's their master? Sin. They do what it wants every day, thinking they're free the whole time, but they're feeding their pleasures, they're feeding their addictions, they're serving the God of greed or lust or control or jealousy or pride, and all the while they're thinking they're free to do what they want. But these people are enslaved, never able to break free, and they scoff at Jesus but he's come to liberate them out of those chains that they cannot see. And he beat that sin at the cross by paying what we owe. And he offers us forgiveness and peace with God through his resurrection. He offers us new life, our own resurrection life. He gives us his spirit as a down payment of that resurrection. We are born again to a hope from the inside. We become children of God all by what Jesus has done for us. Bondage to the old man is broken by faith in him. The new man is set free to live the way that God designed man to do so. No longer feeding the fleeting pleasure of sin, but to now delight to live for the glory of God. Freedom. That's what Christ has come to give us. And he's not only been raised from the dead, he's ascended into heaven. He's in the promised land right now. That's where he is. He's in that promised land that we've been told is there for us. So brothers and sisters, can you see it by faith? Can you see him by faith? We're simply called to believe in this message that sounds like foolishness to so many people out there, but it is the wisdom and power of God to those who believe. So do you believe it? Moses here in this 
picture that we have in the scripture in front of us. He had faith, and he was willing to lay aside the treasures of Egypt to have the reward. And so the question for us here this morning is, do we have faith, and are we willing to lay aside the treasures of this Egypt to have the reward? And if you're looking to Christ this morning and all you have with him, the choice will become clear. It'll become clear. It certainly was for this man, Moses. Look with me at those last two verses in our passage. Because here we're shown that his separation from Egypt was unmistakable. It became obvious. Verse 27 simply says that by faith he left Egypt. The lines had been drawn. It's Egypt and the people here, or it's the people of God, and we're going out there. So by faith, he left. He had made his choice. He was one of God's people. He was not one of Pharaoh's people, so he separated himself. By faith, we're told that he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. They were being told that judgment was coming on the people in the land of Egypt. And payment would be required for the, by the death of firstborn sons. But God told Moses, he says, my people will be spared. They will be spared. If you will just take the blood of a lamb that you will kill, wipe it on the doorposts around your house, and when the angel of death comes over tonight, he will pass over your house. That's why it's called the Passover. And he will spare the firstborn sons in your home. So Moses did that. And all the people believed the word of God that that would take place. God was telling him, my people will be spared if you believe in my word. Faith believed and found shelter under the blood. Do you see a correlation between what those people believed and what we're being called to believe today? We're also being called to believe in the blood of a particular kind of lamb. And his name is Jesus. We're being told, come out of Egypt and find shelter under the blood of the lamb. That's what faith will do. It not only sees the evil that is present in the world, it'll also see the evil that is present within my own heart. It knows that there is wickedness in here, not just out there. And it knows that there is a God who is just and good and that the day is coming when his wrath will be poured out on sin. And faith, what will it say? What will faith cry out? Where can I go for safety? Where can I find mercy from what is coming? And Jesus says, come to me now. There is safety under my wings. Mercy is under my blood. This is the only place, brothers and sisters, for us to run. And what a wonderful, wonderful place it is. The Passover lamb in the day of Moses was a picture of a much better lamb to come. He is our Savior. So what we have here in front of us today is Moses being a picture of faith held out for us today to see Christ 
and I hope you see him. He becomes our treasure. He becomes our soul's delight. And he reorders our value system, the way that we will live out in this world. And those who believe in him become willing to set aside the fleeting pleasures of sin for an eternal, eternal reward of glory. Jesus becomes our first love. And that sets into place every other lesser love. And when that happens and the way you start to live your life, it will start to look very strange to the people in Egypt. Moses was a man with a lot to lose. But he's telling us by his choices that the reward of God was worth it. Are you willing to say the same? If so, commit yourself to Jesus Christ by faith. Believe his promises. Believe that there is a great reward of freedom, forgiveness, and heaven for you. Separate yourself from the Egypt of today. That actually is something of what is taking place in those waters of baptism. Something that they used to have people say a long time ago is that they were now separating themselves from Satan and the world unto God. That's what baptism was saying. And then asking all of those people out there in the congregation, you hold me to it. This is my vow today in these waters I belong to Jesus Christ. I do not belong to the world anymore. I'm his. You hold me accountable. And so, brothers and sisters, that choice is there in front of us today. Will you make that choice by faith to see Christ and follow him? If you have faith in him, Jesus will turn not just your economics upside down. He will turn your whole world upside down, all for good. It will cost you Egypt. But Jesus is worth it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together in this place and celebrate our Savior. And Lord Jesus, we know that right now you are there in heaven and you are looking down on all of your people worshiping you today. And we pray that everything that you see in the churches of the living Christ are glorious and good. Would you give everybody in this room eyes to see you for who you are? Not for what everybody out there says that you are or what you are about, but who you are in your word. You are good. You are glorious. You are our lamb. You are our king. You are our priest. You are our temple. You are our everything. You are our hope. And so may we find our hope in you today as a people at Casanova Park Baptist Church. Will you bless us with faith? Strengthen us to continue to walk by faith until you return for us. And you've promised that you will. And your reward will be with you. May we see it with eyes of faith. And we ask it in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.